among us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. It is a damn pleasure to have you here with us this evening as we barrel down this highway of life. The night sky in your face as the sun's fading rays disappear over your shoulder and the road it spills out like ribbon as you ponder life's mysteries. One telephone call at a time. I have an amazing program lined up for you guys this evening. Creepy, spooky, terrifying, and downright blood-chilling. So let's not hesitate any longer. Allow me to bring on tonight's first guest. And to begin this evening's festivities, we visit with Desiree, where we hear her ghostly tales. Hi, Derek. My name is Desiree. My six-year-old son, Ash, recently discovered your podcast, and he's absolutely obsessed. So we listen to it every day, to and from school. So we've been listening, and he loves everything about it. He loves all the spooky, all the unknown. However, he is a non-believer. So one day after listening to one of the stories that contained a ghost, we were talking about how he doesn't believe. And I told him that, like him, I used to be a non-believer also until I had an experience. He's only six, so I'd never told him the story before. So he asked, and I told him. And he, of course, did not believe me. So I said that I would call and tell you so that you could give your opinion on it. So I was stationed at F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, from 2006 to 2008. I was security forces, which is the Air Force's equivalent of military police. When I got to the base, you always hear stories about the ghosts and the hauntings and all the rumors and the legends and everything. But like I said, at that time, I was a non-believer, so I never really bought into it or really had much to do with it. But it was a very historic base, so much so that when I was stationed there, they were in the process of renovating a lot of the buildings. And they would have to preserve like as much as the building, the original building as they could, like any of the bricks, uh, anything like that. So a lot of the stories that were told were like the theater. The base theater was supposedly haunted and there was a lot of interaction with ghosts and people would see stuff. I believe at some point they even had someone come in and do studies on it and look for activity and things like that. But the building that I had an experience in was the security forces building. It was a large building. I can't remember if it was four or five stories. Supposedly it used to be the hospital and there was an underground tunnel that led to a small building that had been closed off, that we never used, that was supposedly the morgue or something along those lines. The big story everyone always told was that the top floor of the building was not used. I think at that time we used it for storage, maybe. But supposedly it was the children's wing. 
and no one would go in, and to include our military working dogs. The rumor, the story always was that the handlers would take the dogs up, they would throw whatever their motivator was, and a toy, a treat, and even the dogs were, would refuse to go in. So we just simply did not use it. So when I was working in that building, I worked in the basement, and I worked at night. So I would work throughout the night and leave in the morning, and for the most part, the building would be empty at night. And one of my tasks was before it got daybreak, before our leadership would come in, I had to take paperwork up and drop it off at their desk so that they had it ready when they got there. So I would go to the fire stairwell on the edge of the building, and I would start at the top floor that we used, and I would deliver my paperwork, go back out, go floor down, and work my way down slowly. So this particular night, I honestly don't remember when it was. I think I'd been there for about eight months, maybe a year. So it was probably around, I don't know, 2007. I have no idea what time of year it was. I went up. um, I started at the top floor. I dropped off my paperwork. And as I was coming back toward the stairwell, I heard voices. And I was, like, confused because I didn't know who would be there at probably 2, 3 a.m. So I went into the stairwell. I went down to the next floor, and I opened the door, and I expected to see someone there. There was no one there. Uh, It was not uncommon for law enforcement to occasionally be in the building, either doing checks or just in the building, but there was no one in the building. There was no radios. There was no radio feedback, nothing that I would typically hear. It was just silent. So I, you know, handed up my papers like I was supposed to, and I headed back to the stairwell. And as I did, I heard voices again, and I was still really confused. At this point, I was not scared by any means. It was dark and it was late, but like I said, I didn't buy anything like that. Like things like that didn't affect me. I was not scared in any in any way more than anything. I was nosy and I just wanted to know who was in the building. So I went back out to the stairwell and I listened. I didn't hear anything, but I got this like feeling that someone was there. Like I couldn't hear anything, but I swore there was movement. So I turned back around to the floor that I had just came off of for whatever reason and walked back in just to make sure. And of course, no one was there. So I turned back around to walk out into the stairwell to go down to the uh, floor below me to finish handing out my paperwork. However, when I went to step down on the stairs, I could feel, I never saw anything, but I could feel a little girl right next to me. And in my ear, literally directly next to me, she laughed. And it was unmistakable. I could feel it. I could hear it plain as day. And I ran as fast as I could back to my office. And I never took that stairwell again. So that was my experience. I've never necessarily had another experience like it again, but no one will ever be able to tell me that that little girl wasn't with me because she 100% was. I have dreamed about her. Even though I have no idea what she looks like, I can hear her occasionally. I don't know. It's supposedly haunted, so maybe you have heard other rumors about the base or Cheyenne, the area. Uh, Let me know. Keep up the good work. My son loves your podcast. Have a good night. Thank you, Desiree. And hello, Ash. Thanks for tuning in, buddy. True story. When I was 15 years old, I rode a Greyhound bus from my podunk town in Ohio all the way to Cheyenne, Wyoming, where my aunt and uncle were to meet me, where we would then travel on to Casper, where I would spend the entire summer. Now, my parents and grandparents were so paranoid about this bus trip that their stories and their warnings started to get me paranoid. So, as a result, I didn't sleep a wink for the first two days of the journey. I just sat there wide-eyed, watching weirdos doing weird things. 
it was a Greyhound bus after all. But by the end of that last day, my body must have finally given in, because I seemed to have passed out. And when I awoke, the bus was stopped, and the walkway lights were illuminated. Now this was pre-cell phone days, so I had no idea where we were. No flashing indicator screens, no Google Maps, and I was sound asleep, so I missed any and all announcements. And I also had no idea why we were stopped. I wasn't even sure that this stop was scheduled. Now at this point I panicked. Was this my stop? Do I need to get off here? How far have we traveled? Did we travel far enough? What do I do? I tried desperately to ask other passengers, but those who were left were sound asleep. I still recall how mad one older lady got when I did wake her up. And in hindsight, I suppose I don't blame her. Anyway, finally I just made a decision. Fight or flight, run or gun, piss or get off the pot. That's what Grandma loved to say. So I gathered up my belongings and I stepped out into the night. And to my surprise, it appeared that I had made the right choice. Because my aunt and uncle were standing there waiting looking nearly as concerned as I was. If I had stayed on that bus, who knows where it would have ended up. How long it would have taken someone to come get me. So yeah, I've been to Cheyenne. And can you really say you've ever been someplace if you haven't spent a little time at their Greyhound bus station? But in my travels, I never made it to Warren Air Force Base. But the rumor is, Desiree isn't the only one to experience something strange there. In fact, some of the spirits at Warren are infamously known. The most famous legend of F.E. Warren's haunted past is Gus Quarters. In the 1880s, a man named Gus was living in the barracks at Quarters 80. According to local lore... An officer returned from maneuvers one day and found his wife in bed with Gus. Now Gus tried to escape by jumping out a second-story window, but accidentally hung himself on a clothesline. Ever since, airmen in the barracks have reported Gus's ghost attempting to open cabinets and move objects around, leading some to believe that Gus is still searching for his pants all these years later. Now that little blurb, courtesy of Y95 Country, KCGY FM, out of Laramie. And you know that's not all. Reports of a woman in black haunting the nearby cemetery on base have been shared for decades. Native American ghosts on horseback have also been seen near the missile launch area. But none of that really seems to correlate with the experience that Desiree shared. If you recall... Her story detailed an encounter with a ghostly little girl in a wing of a building that was once used as a children's hospital. Well, as it turns out, Desiree isn't the only one to have just such an experience. In the book, Haunted Warren Air Force Base, by Jill Pope, it's detailed that another witness, too, has had a similar run-in. Here's an excerpt from that 2014 book. One evening, a young girl was noticed at the end of the hallway by a sergeant and another staffer, 
She was surrounded by mist. The men stopped and watched her as she stared back at them. And then she strode right through a wall. Astounded, the men rushed to the spot where she had disappeared. To their disbelief, she had vanished without a trace. They checked all of the nearby doors and found they were locked. Now who is this little girl and where did she come from? It's a question I'm sure that's on a lot of your minds right now. And as it turns out, the book was helpful in answering that question as well. Because it seems some time back, a German physician's family lived on the second floor of the hospital, which had been turned into a makeshift apartment. In 1889, the doctor contracted yellow fever after serving in the Spanish-American War. How is this relevant, you might ask? Well, prior to the doctor's death, he and his wife had just lost two young children. Could one of them be the little girl that Desiree saw that evening? You decide. And thank you again, Desiree, for calling in. Now, folks, if you have a story burning a hole in your pocket, do the sensible thing and call our hotline 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, toll free here in the U.S. That number is easy to remember as well. It's 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. And if you find yourself outside the United States and still want to submit for free, just record your story on your phone and email me the clip at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now I bet you're curious as to what's coming down the pike. Well, it's an anonymous caller from Parts Unknown. Hi, Derek. This call is kind of uh, in response to a recent story you had. A fellow from Wenatchee, Washington was talking about almost hitting a person or something on the road. And it reminded me of an event that happened about 20 years ago. It would have been 1998, maybe 19, late 1997, sometime around then. Um, I haven't really thought about it since then until right now when I heard the story on your show. So um, my details are a bit fuzzy, but I think I have enough of a memory of it to, to kind of describe it in detail. So this uh, happened in Rockford, Illinois, like I said, in the late 90s. I was driving with my girlfriend at the time, and it would have been early evening. It was getting dark, but it was like there was still some twilight in the sky, but it was dark enough where the street lamps were on. And we're driving down a boulevard, and I suddenly slammed on my brakes just really suddenly because I could have sworn there was somebody about to cross the street off of the boulevard. I didn't actually see anybody. I just kind of, I don't know if it was a bit of a shadow being cast by the street lamps or what, but there was obviously nobody there when, when I stopped and looked. And so I just sped up the car again and kept going. And then I look over at my girlfriend and she's looking at me. She's like, you saw that too, huh? And I just sort of turned ashen and he said, yeah, there was something there. And she goes, yeah, I saw it too. And like, did you see a, a person? And she goes, no, I kind of saw a shadow or just sort of the essence of a person about to come running across the road. So, yeah, there you have it. I, I, I'll i be honest, I, I don't believe in ghosts or I think I don't believe in ghosts. And that was the only time that something like that had happened to me. 
so yeah there you go uh thanks i hope you could use this and even though i don't believe in ghosts i do enjoy listening to your show it's a lot of fun so i thought i'd contribute a bit too thanks eric bye thank you caller you know it's one thing to see something out of the corner of your eye while you're driving a glimpse of an animal a trick of the headlights a smudge on your windshield that your eyes just simply can't focus on but you know it's an entirely different deal when your passenger sees it as well yet another example of why we all need dash cams and thank you again caller for sharing that entry this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp we all think we know ourselves but the reality is we're all constantly growing and changing which makes getting to know ourselves a lifelong process and therapy can help you get a handle on what it is you really need to feel content in life by helping to deepen your self-awareness and self-understanding now i found therapy has helped me unpack my emotions and reactions so i can make better decisions and be more at peace going forward therapy isn't just for people who have suffered trauma it's for practically anyone on this roller coaster we call life because we all need support when navigating the ups and downs now if you're thinking of giving therapy a try BetterHelp is a great option it's convenient flexible and affordable and for some reason if you aren't vibing with your therapist you can switch at any time for no additional charge discover your potential with BetterHelp. visit betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better help h-e-l-p dot com forward slash monsters among us now as always supporting our sponsors supports the show so thank you for listening back to that thing that's rummaging through your garbage now then this next entry is on the longer side but I think it's totally worth the time all the way from Canada Please welcome another anonymous caller. Hi, Derek. I just want to remain anonymous uh, for the most part, I suppose, but definitely want to share my story with you. What I'm about to tell you is absolutely 100% true, and uh, basically here goes. Back in the summer of 1995, uh, at that time I was approximately 15 years old. I was pretty ambitious back then, a little bit more than I am current day, and I had built a two-story log cabin, just more or less out of logs around the uh, backwoods and some chipboard and whatever I could kind of, you know, scavenge from the neighborhood. Uh, I put it together, and at the end, it actually looked pretty cool. Uh, like I say, it had a bottom level and an upstairs and uh, enough room for about maybe four or five, you know, young fellows to sit in and have fun. A uh, little wood stove I'd made out of an old oil drum. It was quite a, quite a little cabin. My friends started gaining some interest, and uh, they wanted to come over one night. It was in the summer of 1995, so they come over. I think back then there was, there was four of us who were uh, staying in the cabin, and we decided to have a sleepover that night. One of my friends in particular brought a homemade Ouija board um, over for the night and a, and a candle and whatnot. And the Ouija board, to describe it, it certainly wasn't bought at, you know, from Mattel or any store or whoever manufactures it. It was completely homemade. 
And it was, I, I remember back then looking at it, it was actually kind of disturbing. It had, you name it, it had 666 on it, and it had uh, some upside-down crosses. And he said that his older brother had made it, and his older brother really went to town on this thing. So it just gave you the creeps just looking at it. Even the, uh, you know, I forget the name of the thing that moves it around, you know, the cursor kind of type thing, the planchetta or something like that. Anyways, I remember that too was made and it had a hole cut out in the middle. It was, it was a warm summer night, beautiful, calm. Uh, you know, you could see the stars outside from the window of the little cabin. We had a little fire going. And then also uh, we had the candle lit and we were using the board for about, oh geez, probably about 35, 40 minutes and uh, nothing was happening. We were just more or less scaring ourselves, having a laugh. You were wondering if the other fellow was pushing it or, you know, and sometimes I would give it a little shove just to try to, you know, uh, you know, just have fun and, and be a bit of a jerk with it, right? Well, then all of a sudden, about, uh, like I say, after about a half hour or so of working it, uh, the atmosphere changed. Something just felt different about the air almost. There was something that was telling me and the rest of the fellas that it just changed. The atmosphere changed. Nobody really felt comfortable. So then what had happened immediately after, uh, we all kind of had this feeling at the same time, we absolutely heard footsteps outside of the cabin. It wasn't a cat or a raccoon or a deer or anything like that, you know, without seeing it. I mean, I can't confirm but it sounded like a slow shuffle of footsteps walking outside of the cabin. And, uh, we, you know, we weren't really suggestive, like, oh, that's, you know, uh, just the wind or whatever. Like, we, we knew that this, this absolutely was footsteps. And we completely shut that little gathering down immediately. And every one of us that were kind of jovial and having a good time and laughing suddenly became pretty concerned that all of a sudden, you know, something real happened. And I'll tell you, it, it wasn't funny or fun. Uh, it was it was quite disturbing hearing the footsteps. Uh, and then we all just, so we could actually get ourselves to go to sleep that night, we just convinced each other that, you know, it definitely was a cat or an animal or so. But we all knew different that, uh, you know, we, we, we think that it, it had worked. Uh, that night went by without incident. We all kind of slept in the cabin. Uh, you know, the night was uneventful. Fast forward the next morning, my uh, friends, they went home. They just went back to their houses and mess. And uh, it was around 12 o'clock noon, I came back down into the cabin from going up to my house and having breakfast with my parents and whatnot. And I came back to the cabin for whatever reason, I, I don't understand why to this day that I did it. I went upstairs in the little cabin to the second floor. And uh, I was up there alone on the second floor and right there was the Ouija board. And I had a little bit of time in my hands, so I went over and uh, had the Ouija board in front of me and uh, I started moving the, I'll call it the cursor because I can't remember, planchette or something, I think is the name. I started moving that around and uh, once again, I was by myself, quite sure, but there was nobody around. And I started to move it and I kind of mumbled, is this board evil or good? And the next thing I know, it truly did feel like something took over my hand like I wasn't in control of it anymore and it started to move without my consent more or less well this totally freaked me out and I threw the board to the side and I just kind of slid back because it was such a fright to have that experience happen immediately after that something very loud and very heavy pounded on the front door of the cabin 
and then actually took a couple steps up on the little front step that I had made. Whatever it was, was very heavy. If I had to estimate, you know, like a 300-pound male. The thing about this was, as soon as that had happened, I felt an immediate sense of relief because I thought at the time it was my brother-in-law. So I became very, you know, that thank God somebody was here to, that I could, you know, reach out to for help. But the scary thing is, is when I looked out my top window, I could see directly down onto the porch. Absolutely nobody was there. Uh, there was windows surrounding the place that I could turn and I could look around. Absolutely nobody was there. And it wasn't the wind or it wasn't a creek because I built the cabin myself and I knew every, every nail, every screw, every board. I knew what it sounded like when somebody walked onto it. So that was absolutely terrifying. So scared that I jumped out the little two-story window, which wasn't that high, and uh, refused to go downstairs because of how, uh, you know, just disturbing that was. The next event that had happened was, it was approximately three days later, but now I bring you into the night. It was once again still the summer, you know, of 1995 in Cape Breton, actually Nova Scotia is where it took place. I walked out of my house at approximately, uh, must have been about nine o'clock at night, because I remember the sun was down. And when I came around the corner of my house, my intentions was to go and uh, get my motorcycle out of the burn. I was just gonna, you know, board. It was a beautiful night, take it for a little drive. My mentality at that time wasn't, you know, oh, I'm gonna see something scary or I'm nervous. No, it was as casual as if I had asked somebody, you know, can you go out and get a grocery bag out of the car? Just, just the same type of mentality. However, when I turned the corner of the house, uh, approximately 20, 25 feet away from me, I will never forget what I saw. Um, it was actually a, if, you know, this is a weird way to describe it, but I'll try my best. If you were to take a human, a person, and cut them in half, right at the waist, maybe a little bit above the belt, so that only you would see the bottom half. This was like a spirit or an entity. It was like white-ish and kind of translucent. And you couldn't see the top half. It's like that didn't develop, but the bottom did. And it was very much animated. It was moving. Uh, my, my brain was telling me that somebody's trying to break into your barn and take your motorcycle. And I guess the other half of my brain is saying, you're not seeing a person. This thing kind of, it's like it acknowledged me when I seen this. And it actually started to run towards me. It was absolutely terrifying when it did. And I took my motorcycle helmet and I threw it at it because that was the only thing I could do with, of course, such a short notice. And I, then I watched this thing retreat, turn, run, and run right down the path back towards the cabin that we had had the Ouija board session on, where it just, like, faded away. It was absolutely terrifying. I, I think about it often. There's no mistake in what I saw. It wasn't, uh, you know, a trick of light or anything like that certainly no uh, influence of any drugs or alcohol even to this day i i don't drink and or smoke or, or participate in any of that no this absolutely was an apparition but it's funny only the lower half developed and the, the top didn't that still gets me to this day why i didn't see a full apparition but uh it it, it very much was was shocking to see that the build was almost of a like a slender person too Maybe, I can't guess the full height because obviously I didn't see it, but uh, somebody at, you know, five, seven or so. But it was like, it was a, the spirit was made up of, of like a white translucent type. I don't know what to call it, but that's what it was made of. And uh, it was almost like it was intelligent, like it realized I was there because it certainly reacted to me when I approached it. 
fast forward the next event that happened, it went really quiet for a number of uh, weeks after that. And then what had taken place was my bedroom um, as a young fellow growing up was in the basement and the basement was done over and it had carpet on the flooring. And what I would hear was footsteps that would would start from the end of the hallway and approach my bedroom. And distinctly, I remember distinctively that the footsteps were almost identical to what we had originally heard the first night that we had messed around with the Ouija board in the cabin. It was like a, like a shuffle, like a slow shuffle, very, very slow. It wasn't a run. It wasn't a walk. It was a slow, a slow shuffle. And then what it would do is it would come all the way into my bedroom and come right by my bed, and then it would stop. Absolutely terrifying. And I usually never had the courage to turn and, and look because I'd just be more or less hiding under the covers and not even just being in total disbelief at what I was hearing. Sometimes doors would close uh, by themselves. My bedroom door in particular would open and close. The other thing, uh, you know, some objects would fall uh, around in or around my bedroom. I'd wake up with the blankets totally off of me. And, and, and that could happen to anybody. But the thing about it is my blankets would end up about five feet away. And I would wake up and try to convince myself that perhaps I did that or, I, you know, just to get peace of mind. But I knew in the back of my mind that it wasn't me. Uh, another morning, I can recall waking up with uh, two pretty significant scratches on my right arm. Absolutely no way I could have done that. I mean, uh, there, there was nothing but, but a wall alongside of me, nothing sharp, anything like that. Even the location on my arm, I don't think it would, be, you know, that I could do it myself in my sleep. It was just really uh, peculiar. But the last of the story that's most relevant was one night in particular, I had had enough of the footsteps. It was almost like this thing was harassing me. And I heard the footsteps approaching and the slow shuffle just coming through the carpet towards me. And I finally built up enough courage, you know, to, to see what was there. Now, this is crazy, I know, uh, but it is something that's burnt into my mind. When I finally did whip my head to the left, you know, to see, because that's where my right was the wall, to the left was the, you know, the open void of the room. When I did whip my head to the left, it looked like an evil gargoyle was standing there. Very short, maybe about three feet tall, wide, fat, ugly head with big teeth and just an extremely menacing look on his face. And uh, I'd had enough, and I seen it, and just out of pure fright, I reached out and I punched this thing. However, I didn't make contact with anything. It just vanished, snapped as soon as I did. So anyways, uh, that's pretty much the, uh, you know, what I wanted to pass along to you is Ouija boards are no joke. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, what the science is behind them or if there's any, but I will say this is a cautionary tale. They, they absolutely provoke something. I mean, we were just some young, young, stupid punks that were messing with it and having fun. And uh, that happened to me. But uh, as a cautionary tale, it's nothing to mess with. It really does bring something around. If it don't the first time, uh, it may the second or the third or the fourth. So just, just be careful with that stuff. But that's my story. I uh, just wanted to share that, let you know that that stuff has happened. And uh, take care. Thank you, caller. You know, we too built structures like that when we were kids. At one point, we had a village constructed of small huts made of logs and brush. 
It looked like a little Ewok village or something. Something out of Star Wars. And of course, building it was most of the fun. Once it was done, no one really wanted to go inside. It was dark and damp, and who knows what was living in there after a while. But it looked pretty good when you popped over the hill and saw that little village sitting there. But you know, we never had the nerve, nor the thought, frankly, to perform any sort of communication rituals with the dead, sadly. Had we, perhaps we too could have experienced some of the wild activity that our caller did. And then again, maybe that's a tension we didn't need. And did you pick up on the fact that his board was not of the Parker Brothers variety? The one that most of us are used to. No, it was a homemade job. Something somebody spent some time on. Now I'm pretty curious. What do you all think of that aspect of this experience? Do these custom or homemade boards hold more power? Do they have a better ability to reach the other side? Or is a Ouija board a Ouija board? Now I actually have one of the homemade ones in my possession. It was a gift some years back from Sarah. I don't know. They like the way they look when they're displayed. Thanks again, caller, for ringing in. So this next entry originates in the Wyoming town I eventually arrived in all those years later. A little place known as Casper, Wyoming. So please welcome Justin to the program. Hi there, my name is Justin. I'm from Casper, Wyoming, and this story happened in Casper, Wyoming. It was about 2007, I believe, uh, August of 2007. There was a fire on the west end of the mountain here. A lot of people were driving out to go look at it and check it out. And uh, This was late at night, and you could kind of almost see it glow from the west end of uh, town as uh, Casper's kind of like right at the base of Casper Mountain here. Anyway, it was, I think, about 9 o'clock at night, and I was outside at the time I smoked, and I was outside having a cigarette and watering my yard, because, you know, it's the end of summer, and it's hot out, and I just always found it better to water at the end of the day when it was dark, so the water didn't evaporate off or burn the plants or anything, so anyway, I'm out there, and I'm just kind of having a cigarette, water in the yard, and I'm looking up at the stars, and just all of a sudden, over the top of my head, this triangle, like perfect triangle, just appears in the sky, and it, it, it's flying low, like lower than helicopters generally fly around the area. We have a hospital here that has helicopters coming back and forth all the time, and this thing was probably four times the size of your normal helicopter but I just see this thing appear and it appears as like this pink orange oscillating kind of color it's kind of hard to describe like the color was almost just like moving and kind of changing like lava or something on it and it was completely silent it was moving much slower than what a helicopter moves I mean just quietly moving over the top of my head 
And I realized as I was looking, I was like, this thing is picking up the fire off in the distance. Like it's bending light or something around it and picking up this light from, you know, this fire that's going on that's burning on the west end of this mountain. And then just as quickly as it appeared, it disappeared, you know, which I assume it just went back to reflecting the night sky around it. I probably saw it for four to five seconds, and then it just disappeared as it moved over the top of me. It was a nice night. Usually it's really windy here. There was no wind. It was just a nice, calm night and uh, clear skies, no clouds, nothing like that. You know, I was just out in a T-shirt and shorts, water in the yard, saw that crazy thing. And I mean, I didn't know at the time. I thought, man, is this some kind of like secret, you know, Air Force vehicle? Um, We have... Warren Air Force Base, 170 miles to the south of us. So, I mean, it's always a potential, but I just, yeah, it was very bizarre. So, thanks. Hope you can use this. Have a good one. Thank you, Justin. Now, although this is a subject matter we've discussed at some length in the past, I found the detail of the fire reflecting off the craft's surface to be just as interesting as it is new. That tells us that there is something solid, something tangible up there in the sky. What that solid object is, well, I suppose that's anyone's guess. And do note the location. Not too far from the aforementioned Warren Air Force Base. A couple hours north on the interstate from there. Or a few quick minutes in a hypersonic spacecraft. And if this town sounds familiar to you, there may be a reason. It's home to our very own Addie Lloyd. You may know Addie as our longtime Facebook admin of her Facebook page. The Crypto Den Mom, as she insists we refer to her as. Well, sadly, Sarah and I learned last week that Addie is stepping down from the role to focus on her career with the circus. Oh, teaching. I, I read that wrong. Addie was crucial in the show's growth for many, many years. Her and her team of Facebook admins took a small Facebook group and made it blossom and bloom and built it into what it is today. And for that, I am forever grateful. Thank you for the time that you've given us, Addie. And moreover, thank you for the friendship. We'll miss you here at the show, but something tells me that We'll still see you around. Now, on occasion, we get a call that's so reminiscent of a classical ghost story that it's almost a parody. Think of these infamous women in white stories or crybaby bridges, etc. Well, this next one falls into that category, in a way. But that certainly doesn't stop it from being a great story. And somehow, a believable one at that. Please welcome another anonymous caller from Parts Unknown. Hey, Derek. I uh, have an interesting one for you. So, been listening to your podcast and been listening to it. And I got to thinking about providing you with one of the most interesting things that's ever happened to me. So, January 2014... A friend of mine and I were leaving from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, to Lafayette area 
Indiana. I was en route to get married. So he's going with me to be my best man. I rented the car, so he was going to pay for the gas along the way. Somewhere between our pit stop in West Virginia and our pit stop in Ohio, he lost his wall. So we have no gas money. We make it just south of Indianapolis, Indiana, and are almost out of fuel. It in the negative double digit at that point in time. So we're trying to either make it all the way or, you know, just try not to breathe to death. So growing up in the trucking industry with my dad, I decided to stop at a truck stop. Wow. I-65 and I-70 were shut down for weather purposes at that time, so we had to get off the major interstates and take some back roads. Found a smaller truck stop. It had one truck, and it was just kind of strange. It was just a blacked-out truck with a blacked-out trailer. There was no real markings on it, nothing distinguishable, so I you know, couldn't tell where they came from. I told my best man that, hey, we're going to go inside. We're going to talk to either the waitress or this truck driver and see if we can get you know just a little bit of fuel to get us all the way up to the Lafayette area. And as soon as the bank opens in the morning, I would come back down and I would give the guy back his money. Because at that time, it was approximately 1 o'clock in the morning. So it was either run out of gas or just hope we could make it up there. I went inside, talked to this driver, and he bought us a cup of coffee. We sat there and talked for about 30 minutes about what was going on, why we were headed where we were, what we were doing. And uh, he gave us 20 bucks for gas. Went outside, pumped our gas, came back in, told him, hey, I really appreciate it. I will, I'll be back, you know, first thing after the bank opened to bring you money. And so we get all the way up there, wait on the bank to open I get some money out and come all the way back down and to this particular truck stop. When we arrive at about 10 o'clock in the morning, it's boarded up. It looks like it's been abandoned for years and the truck's gone, but we had just been in there that morning. Like it was a clean diner. There was one waitress, one cook and the trucker. So anyway, we, we pull in and there happens to be a cop sitting in the parking lot we pull up and ask this cop you know hey what happened because we were just here explain the situation to him and uh he just starts chuckling and he goes oh you got the ghost of three and then just drives off so two military members converse had a cup of coffee with like interacted with three people at a diner that had a fuel pump I got $20 worth of gas when I came back. It's been boarded up for, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, the cops said it had been boarded up for the last 25 years. Thank you, caller. Now, I know I told this story once before, but we have a lot more listeners now. So I'm just going to tell it again. In college, a few buddies and myself did a tour of the eastern half of the state of Ohio visiting a few random haunted locations that I've been reading about for weeks. My friends weren't really into that sort of thing, but they were along for the ride. And it's a ride they might have ended up regretting. On one of our evening jaunts somewhere 
near the town of Barnesville, Ohio. We saw a dilapidated church on a hillside. Now, normally we don't do this sort of thing, but it was 3 a.m. in the middle of nowhere on a dirt road with a grass strip growing down the center. This place had clearly been abandoned for a very long time, so we decided it was worth the risk. We slipped in through an open window into the main congregation area. We poked around, thumbed through some of the remaining artifacts, and listened as we heard an animal of some large size living just under the floorboards. So with that knowledge in mind, we didn't stick around long. Coupled with bad flashlights and a low camcorder battery, we made tracks, vowing someday to return. And return we did the following October. Only this time the church and the driveway and the graveyard. They were all nowhere to be found. We drove up and down that stretch of road all night long. But we never did find the church again. Now we were stone sober both times. I even have video footage of the church here somewhere. And there's absolutely no reason it could have vanished. Even if it was raised, tore down, there still would have been a driveway or a graveyard up on the hills somewhere. We saw nothing of the sort. So I think I kind of know how you feel, Caller. Although we never interacted with any other people, we didn't take anything from the church either. So our connection and then disconnection was a lot less jarring, I would assume but enough that it left a lasting impact on me some 15 years later. Now, if this sort of thing is your jam, I've provided a list of other similar stories that people have told over on Reddit. The link can be found in the show notes with all the other references shared this evening. You can find it where it always is, monstersamonguspodcast.com. Now, I love the story and I love the experience. So thanks, Caller, for taking the time to share it with us. Now, real quick, I need to take a moment to thank someone. A listener in the western Pennsylvania area recently sent me a stack of local paranormal books and a ton of information on haunts in his neck of the woods. And although sending me stuff is by no means expected... I really did appreciate the gesture. Not only is it fun to get stuff like that in the mail, it sort of makes you feel like a kid again, but it also introduced me to a ton of new stories and legends that I otherwise never would have had access to. So thank you, stranger. You made my day. And I'll be sending you an email. Now... Let's get back on track with our final call of the evening. And I saved a strange one for last. From the state of Minnesota, please join me in welcoming Zach to the show. Hi, Derek. This is Zach calling from St. Paul, Minnesota. I just recently uh, discovered your show and heard an episode, I think his name was Edel in season 13 uh, about uh, Glimmerman, I had an experience back in 2008 
I was playing in a band and came home late at night. It was probably about 2.30 in the morning or 3 and was sitting in my car and thinking about how interesting it is that there are so many things in the world are, that our perceptions are only limited to what our brains can comprehend and thinking about how interesting it would be to be able to see everything that was going on. And I was just sitting there thinking about that when in a house down the block, I started to see a light moving around and I was just watching it and interested in that and uh, noticed across the street from that house was a human figure that was uh, what I've learned is a glimmer man. It was uh, shimmery and translucent standing there and I got the feeling like it was watching the light that was traveling around in the house across the street. And I watched it for a while and the light in the house came out into the front porch area of the house, moved around a little bit, and then came through the window and zipped up into the sky. And uh, I turned my attention back towards the glimmer man that was standing there. And I got the feeling that it got the feeling that it was being watched and it started to scan around and then I got the feeling that I was being watched and I got a little freaked out and this figure started walking down the block in my direction. A car came by and kind of blinded everything out with uh, its headlights and so I kind of lost track of where this figure was. When that car had passed, I was kind of looking around and I noticed it was on my side of the street now uh, where I was parked and continuing to walk towards me. I started to get really kind of freaked out and decided that when the next car came, I would get out of my car while the car could see me and go into my house. So I did that (laughs) and went into my house and I had a cat at the time. And I was sitting there, kind of decompressing from what had just happened, feeling really freaked out. There's a lot of other thoughts I was having at the time. I was feeling like maybe I was witnessing something strange. But anyway, I was sitting in my house and decided to get a bowl of cereal to just have a snack while I was kind of like decompressing from whatever this whole situation was and sitting there with my cat watching me and I started to feel, I don't know how to describe it, like electricity, kind of like a vibration. And it was pretty vibey. And at the same time, I was trying to kind of ignore it. And at the same time, I was feeling like air moving around my face, like something was blowing on me or something uh, really lightly, really lightly, but it was moving. And the weird thing was, was the, the vibration was feeling like it was coming from the same place as this air was coming from. So I looked at my cat and she is looking at the same place and tracking it with her eyes as it's moving around where I'm feeling the vibration and this air moving across my face. 
I'm trying to stay calm. And at the time, my wife and I were living in this apartment upstairs, and our one-year-old daughter was in the bedroom across the hall, and we had a dog as well. And my cat's watching this thing, and she's not freaking out or anything. She's just watching it, and it, I wouldn't say that I felt menaced or anything. Like, I felt fear when I saw the Glimmer Man. This felt like something completely different, uh, and it had come through my window. I felt it come in. Anyway, so it's moving around, and I can feel it go down my hall and over towards our bedrooms. And as it goes down there, and my cat's watching it the whole time go down the hall, it goes over by my dog, and my dog stirs in his sleep. And then it comes back over by me, and I'm just watching my cat's eyes and kind of, I can feel where it was, and I'm getting this vibration feeling. That's the only way I'm able to tell where this thing is. It comes back over by me, and I can feel it again. And then it goes back down the hall and goes into my daughter's room, presumably, because she starts stirring in her sleep and making sounds. And it comes back out, vibes around me again and blows around my face. And then I could feel it go out the window and gone. And it was gone for a little while. And it came back in and was doing it again, kind of blowing around my face. And I'm watching my cat's eyes and it's going around the room and it comes right up in front of my face, right in front of my nose, and I can feel it blowing on my face. And I'm looking at my cat's eyes, and my cat is looking at this space right in front of my face, and I'm feeling these vibes. And then my cat looks right into my eyes, and maybe it's just a coincidence or whatever, but, like, my whole body went, like, electric. <laughs> like, huge vibrations. And then it came out of my body again, and it zoomed away and that started a whole bunch of nights there and then in subsequent homes where I have been visited by this being. I never saw the Glimmer Man again with my eyes but I don't know that they aren't around and it seemed to me that this Glimmer Man was interested in this phenomena that was in this other person's house and presumably interested in I don't know I don't know what but like it was weird and uh had no idea what Glimmermen were until I started listening to your podcast just recently and Edel's story with the little floating fish thing kind of reminded me of uh what happened to me and I thought I'd share this story with you thanks and uh love your podcast thank you Thank you, Zach. You never know when and where these Glimmer Men are going to show up. It seems we have sightings of that thing from all over the country. But you know, I don't recall hearing many, possibly any, occurring outside of the United States. And perhaps that's a clue of some sort. Or perhaps it's not true and I'm simply mistaken. Either way, the subject matter is fascinating. A human-shaped entity with near-complete invisibility capabilities. Some describe it as looking like a mirage or heat waves. Others say it's more like rippling water. And some say it just looks exactly like the Predator from the film series. But all the reports seem to be describing the exact same creature. Whatever it is. 
and all sorts of explanations have been posited. Anything from cloaking Sasquatch and aliens to military technology and interdimensional beings or visitors from a future land. And sure, it could be any of those, but something tells me that the military might have something to do with this. And if you think that's far-fetched, I'm afraid you'd be wrong, because that sort of thing has already been happening. In 2018, a new technology dubbed Broadband Achromatic Medlens was developed, or BAM, as it's often known. In short, it's a nanotechnology-driven material that enables electromagnetic radiation of certain wavelengths to pass freely around an object, essentially rendering it invisible. And a company called Volback recently developed a prototype for a wearable thermal camouflage jacket that allows wearers to become undetectable at certain wavelengths. Using graphene layers, the jacket works similarly to an ion battery. When voltage is applied to the graphene, which is highly conductible, the allotrope turns into a reflective material. Nakatomi Corporation and its subsidiary, Hyperstealth Biocorp, has created several generations of invisibility battle gear, riot shields in particular. Now, links to all this technology can be found in the show notes, and I highly suggest you go check it out. I think you want to get an eye on what I'm talking about here. But I'm the first to admit that none of these really sound like what Zach claimed to have seen. No real mention of static electricity to speak of. Although it seems most of these options require large amounts of power. But my team and I spent a lot of time trying to find a connection here. A clue that could help bridge the gap between the visual aspects of the phenomena with the strange static sensation that our caller claimed to have felt. And on the 11th hour, we finally hit pay dirt. A U.S. patent, which was submitted in 1992 and approved in 1994, that for all intents and purposes details a cloaking system. It appears to be a sole patent submitted by a man named Richard N. Schauengert, an inventor, naval engineer, and former member of the Defense Contact Management Agency. Just the kind of guy you would expect to be part of something like this. In 1987, Richard began his breakthrough private experiments with electro-optical camouflage, but it wasn't until 1993 that he launched Project Camellio, a revolutionary attempt to develop fully operational electro-optical camouflage to be used by United States soldiers in the battlefield. So essentially, the U.S. government has been actively working on this type of research for at least 30 years that we know of. But think about it. An electro-optical camouflage system now, I would imagine that sort of tech would require a great deal of power. Creating a field of electricity that might be detectable by Zack and his pets. And you know, as wild as Zack's encounter was, it's not the only one like it that's out there. A quick glimpse of something that's both there and not there at the same time. The unsettling occurrence of something unseen returning for a second rendezvous. An experience where the witness felt a strong electronic pulse or field, and a vibe so potent that pets too seemed to notice something askew. Now I found the following account on a YouTube channel called Camera of Nature, and what is detailed in this short retelling is awfully reminiscent of poor Zach's harrowing ordeal. 
We were returning from a Christmas party a few years ago. It was about 11 p.m. We were driving approximately 10 miles per hour down a dark road near our home. When I focused on something that appeared to be walking across the road. I describe it as an 8-foot-tall creature with a large head and completely transparent. Resembling standing water. Its head was larger than a human's. It walked from the right side of the road to just about the middle of it. I remember about 45 minutes later. I was letting my dog out and instantly smelled a foul odor that was similar to sulfur. My dog started jumping at something in front of me. But I couldn't see anything. I just had a feeling of high static electricity. Shorts and thin on details. But what is there is very similar to what Zach reported. I'd almost say eerily similar. But I suppose that's up to you to decide. Whatever it was that was seen by these witnesses, it has me fascinated. Most cryptids or creatures require you to suspend your belief of science somewhat or ignore millions of years worth of fossil records or evolution. But the Glimmer Man is a bit different. He or she, or it, seems to be born out of technology rather than the wildlands. A monster invented by man, both figuratively and literally. Now we'll certainly keep our ears open for future Glimmer Man sightings. Where there's one, there's often many. And I happen to know we'll revisit this topic at a later date down the road. So until that day, we thank you, Zach, for sharing that entry with us here this evening. And thank you, dear listener, for spending your limited time here with us tonight. This whole thing would be kind of weird if you weren't out there listening. Now, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes, Delaney Bowers, Anna Parsons, and for the last time, Eddie Lloyd. Please follow us on social media and over on YouTube. Also, if you can, leave us a rate and review wherever that sort of thing is possible. And finally this evening, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.H.E. Music, and Carl Casey and White Bath Audio. Thank you all for tuning in. Remember, the nighttime is the right time. And above all else, keep it spooky out there. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good night. Now, tonight's secret entry is another in a long line of strange entries that really make you question the world we live in. Please, welcome yet another anonymous caller. Also from Bart Sundown. Hi, I'm calling. This is an anonymous caller, but I'm, I'm a listener to the show. I'm, 
kind of a winded story. I got in touch with a man who was pretty popular in the UFO community named Mark McCandlish. And um, I'm a filmmaker, a screenwriter, and I was really interested in his story. So I contacted him to get more details about his story, and he was very kind in replying to my emails. But on the first initial conversation, he had said that what I was getting into, quote-unquote, was playing with fire. According to him, another filmmaker that tried to do a documentary on his story had subsequently died of exposure to radiation documentary filmmaker and that was a few years before I got in contact with him and so I didn't know what to make of this I was just more interested in this story for fictional reasons but uh, quickly I was drawn into his whole life and uh, this guy who was working really well for himself in um, concept art uh, for departments of engineering within the military. He was a concept artist, so he would basically illustrate design ideas for certain projects that certain companies, private entities were designing. And he was featured in, um, at the time, this is, I guess, would say the early 90s, he was featured in a lot of magazines. Anyways, so he was doing really well for himself until he got in contact with a friend who told him about some secret project that the military was working on that his friend caught eye of. And he, based on his friend's story, designed it and went public. After going public, his life apparently just deteriorated quickly. So he's telling me all this stuff about his life and he keeps reminding me like this is not like something that should be taken lightly but that you know I should tread carefully and if I decide to do something with the story that you know be careful so after a couple of days of talking with him through emails hearing his story I had a night job where I was doing stock and inventory and I had to go to work that night and it was raining and I get out to my car and I noticed that my driver's side window is rolled down about two inches, which bothered me because I know that my car won't lock if the windows don't go rolled up all the way because it's a convertible. So the security system won't lock the car if the windows aren't rolled up all the way. And because it was raining, I know that I wouldn't leave my car window rolled down like that. I get inside my car and the seat is adjusted all the way to the back. I'm 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, so the person or whoever that was trying to get into my car was definitely very tall. I readjust the seat and I noticed that the other side of the window is also rolled down. And at this point in time, I'm really nervous because this is in front of my house. And I uh, start the car and the car makes a weird sound when I put it in drive, and as I'm driving, suddenly the engine explodes. Full-on explosion. The, the, the hood popped up, and a large ball of smoke came flying out. And this loud, loud, I mean extremely loud sound. I, I, I was told it was the 
the horn, something with the horn, the gas in the horn or something was blaring out. It sounded like a boat horn in the neighborhood. And mind you, this is at like three in the morning. I thought I had died or something. I, I had a, a, a just absolute shock and a kind of traumatized sense of myself. And I had to drive back to my house which wasn't too far and the, the the loud sound of the horn just keeps going and it's blaring through the neighborhood at the time i lived with my parents so i got back to the house with my parents i woke up my dad and the horn sound stopped but he couldn't do anything because it, it was three in the morning and there's no light or anything and he was tired so he went back to bed i had to call my work and tell him i couldn't make it so anyways, that same morning, or later on, uh, we took the cars to the mechanic and the mechanic diagnosed the, the issues with the car. And the first thing he said to me was, did I have any enemies? And I thought he was joking because he said that the car was broken into and the wiring was rewired um, in such a way that the car, when it started, would um, backfire and send that energy into my electrical system or something and the car would die out the explosion i presume was the pressure of the energy i I don't know i'm not an engineer so i don't know this stuff so i'm gonna stop talking but that's what happened so i emailed mark mccandlish again and i told him and he said we needed to stop talking for a while so anyways um i'm deathly afraid of his email when he said i was playing with fire and i now i believe him so long story short um Throughout all my dialogue with him, I started getting a lot of interesting emails from different types of people who were claiming Mark McCandless was a hoax, a con man. And, and at one point, I was even invited to go to Joshua Tree to meet with a real scientist who was dealing with real UFO stuff and that I, I should come alone. And then I got another friend involved and then he started having interesting experiences. So I'll stop there because the story gets even more interesting, but just to know that recently Mark was found dead. Uh, They ruled it as a suicide. But those who know him, like myself, don't believe it was a suicide. Something else might have taken place. And that's just a piece of the story. And I have so much more to go involved in that if anyone is interested to hear. Uh, Okay, thank you. Thank you, caller, for the submission. I'll be honest, that was unsettling. And come to think of it, did I just involve myself by sharing this story? And are you now involved simply by hearing it? I had not heard of Mark McCandlish before this call. After looking him up, I do recognize him from the film Unacknowledged. Such a tragic end to that story. But what our caller is claiming here is a very serious accusation that a man who knew too much was murdered in order to silence him. Now we dug into Mark McCandlish's background, and I've linked to a documentary featuring him. I'm assuming that her caller is very close to this film, based on some of the information that he shared. Now I was not able to watch the entire film, but I did watch enough to get the sense that Mark was a normal guy. Nothing he said, although somewhat out there, rose any red flags with me. 
Now Delaney managed to find his obituary, which strangely was very brief and void of a lot of the information you typically find in that sort of document. It reads as follows. Mark McCandlish passed away on Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. He resided in the Redding, California area. Mark was an internationally recognized artist who specialized in aviation and conceptual art within the defense and aerospace industries for 30 years. He was a U.S. Air Force veteran. Like I said, it's very tragic. And I'll be honest, like I hinted at a few minutes ago, the thought crossed my mind whether or not I should even share this story. Not because I doubt its authenticity, but because it very well could put us each in some sort of danger. Although I think that's highly unlikely. But perhaps a big enough risk that the little voice in the back of your head pipes up. At least mine did. Anyhow, thank you, caller, for sharing the story. Hopefully we can bring a little attention to Mark's case. If there was something of foul surrounding his death, I think the world should know. Thanks again for calling in. Now, folks, I'll be coming by the aisleway to check everyone's tickets. Please have them out and ready when I come by. For most of you, that was the final stop for the evening. But for a select few, the ones with the passes to continue on, get to pass through to a magical land where we do exactly what we've been doing here. Sharing spooky stories from listeners just like you. But this time in a more relaxed atmosphere. Of course, I'm referring to the Beyond After Show over on Patreon.com. To join us, simply visit Patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us Podcast. Or visit our website at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click the Patreon tab. Either way, a $1 pledge gets you access to ad-free episodes, and a $5 pledge gets you access to the full series of after shows. It's some 80 hours of content, I think. And it's also ad-free. So, what are you waiting for? You're missing out on stories like Samuels, from over in Pennsylvania. Hey, this is Samuel here again. I'm calling in with another story that I have from Pennsylvania. I'm in California now, but this story occurred in Pennsylvania back around, I want to say, 2008 or nine. I was a junior in high school, and I was walking in Ridley Creek State Park with my mother, and Ridley Creek State Park was a colonial village back in the 18th century, and there are a lot of intact houses from that period. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.